Okay, that's going to be in my way there. All right. Uh, today we are continuing uh, in our series in the book of Proverbs, a word to the wise. And so we've been talking a ton about wisdom, haven't we? A ton about wisdom, uh, about what it means to be wise and how to grow in wisdom. And uh, last week we saw the call or the invitation to us to get wisdom. Get it. Go get insight. Go get it. You know, it's out there. You need it. Go get wisdom. Prioritize it. Seek it like it is a treasure. Because uh, we, we all need wisdom. We all need a ton of wisdom. Uh, we will all need help navigating life's crazy complexities. We need more than just simple rules because this, on the ground, you know, in our life, things actually get messy. It's complicated. We need wisdom. And so... Good news. We read last week in Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord gives wisdom. He gives wisdom. And in the New Testament, we get this great verse in James 1, 5. Let's get this promise here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. And so as we start our time today, let's just take a moment to pray pray again this prayer. Lord, give us wisdom. Give me wisdom uh, that we might have his help in uh, in our quest for wisdom. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we again just want to acknowledge you, acknowledge your presence among us. And we want, want to acknowledge as well that you are the giver of wisdom. Lord, we need it and you have it. Last week we saw, Lord, that you have it stored in storehouses ready to give to us. And so today, Lord, we ask that, that you would give us ears ready to hear and an eagerness to respond to your word in faith. And so help us, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, recently, I went out to a VR games place. For those of you who are behind the times in technology, VR is virtual reality. Uh, that's me and my good friend, Ricky or James or... Or, or something. Um, I don't remember his name. A good friend is putting it. Um, he's a good guy, but we, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. Uh, we met that night. Um, now, if you've not done this, I was playing a Star Wars game, by the way. If, if you've not done VR recently, like I've done VR a long time ago before it was really good. And now it is really good. <laughs> and it is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. So I was playing a um, Star Wars game. I think... I think the thing that they've done that I find really immersive is like you're holding these little controllers and so it knows where in space your hands are. So you look down and like I'm wearing gloves and I'm holding a lightsaber and like I do that and it's just very cool. Uh, and so I was enjoying that a lot. Um, I had a lightsaber. There was like stormtroopers shooting bolts at me and I was knocking them back. Uh, it was very cool. I even got to meet Darth Vader. That was, that was scary. He was really tall and he came like right, right in front of me like so that I could touch him. And he was like looking down on me, lecturing me about something. It was terrifying. Um, and the best moment of my life at the same time. Anyway, so I got totally sucked into this. I played this game for about an hour. There's like a million games, but I just played this one for an hour because it was so good. I uh, didn't play anything else really. Um, and it was so immersive that kind of coming out of it took some time. Like transitioning back into reality. It was like waking up from a lucid dream. And I kind of had to like just get my bearings again in the real world. And, um, and so that was my experience with VR recently. It was, it was surreal. But I'm glad I did. 
take off the VR set and return to reality as, as uh, awkward as that transition was because I live my life not in Star Wars world but in the real world. And in a way, Proverbs, or what wisdom does for us, is it helps us step out of those kind of false realities that we kind of construct in our minds and back into the real world where we're supposed to be living, the objectively there universe. Wisdom helps us recognize the real world, and it helps us live in that real world. It helps us, yeah, step out of those deluded concoctions, those deluded fantasies in our head where we kind of create our own yeah, internal world that's different from reality. And Proverbs 3 is, is a call to do that. It's a call to kind of come back to reality, step back into the universe where God is king, and that that's really good news for us, where the world doesn't revolve around us, but it revolves around him. And Proverbs 3 is going to make the case that when we do that, when we make that transition, when we step into reality, it's actually a really good universe to live in, better than the ones we make up. The real world is a good place to live. And so today, I think our text is going to help us kind of step into this reality, um, step into the real world in three kind of areas of life. Uh, from verses 1 to 4, we're going to step into the reality of our Father's love for us. We're going to step into the reality in verses 5 to 8 of our fallibility. I'm going to remember that we're not God, but He is. 9 and 10, the reality of our stewardship or the fact that we own nothing. And um, finally, verses 11 and 12, the reality of our Father's training in our life. And so we're going to go from the start, from verse 1 to 4. Um, what we're going to see all the way through our passage in these 12 verses is five times he's going to give us a command and then an incentive. Do this because it's going to be really great. Do this because it's going to be really great. Do this because it's going to be really great. And this is how... So you're going to see that play out a bunch. And so we'll see the first two in, in these verses here. The pattern just keeps going, though. He says this, My son, do not forget my teaching. So remember, Proverbs is, is a series of ten lectures, or at least chapters one to nine are, a series of ten lectures from a father to a son, interspersed with these poems from, from wisdom herself. Um, but this is the next lecture to the son. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they'll add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So we're going to keep seeing this pattern play out of command and incentive, command and incentive. Now, last week, if you remember, if you are here last week, last week we, we talked about the fact that a, a surface-level reading of Proverbs is going to sound a bit, little bit legalistic. It's, gonna, it's, it's just going to read that way. And so we worked through that last week. This week, I think we encounter a new kind of problem, reading Proverbs. And that is, is Proverbs teaching us the prosperity gospel here? Because the language of prosperity is all the way through this passage and all the way through Proverbs in general, right? And so, um, you know, in verse 2, it speaks of, hey, do this because you're going to get a long life. Verse 4, hey, do this and you're going to get favor and success. In verse 10, you're going to get barns filled and vats full of wine bursting. And so what is Proverbs teaching us? 
Um, if you're not familiar with the, what the prosperity gospel is, it's the teaching that God just wants you to be happy, comfortable, rich, healthy, and that's his plan for you. If you trust in him, he'll give you all of those things. So the first thing to say is just fr- up front, no, <laughs> no, that's not what's happening here. You know, the, pros- the prosperity gospel is heresy in the truest meaning of that word. It is heresy because fundamentally the prosperity gospel is about, um, is about using God to get stuff. So God becomes the pinata in the sky and you pick up your prayer stick and you hit the, hit the pinata and you get your goodies at the, do you know what I mean? That's, so you're using God. Prayer becomes a, he's a means, means to an end so that you can get what you really want, which is riches and, and all that. And so because of that fact, prosperity gospel is pure idolatry. Pure idolatry. It is the worship of material possessions. It's the worship of worldliness and self-centeredness. It is dressed up in religious clothes, but it is still heresy. It knows nothing of love for Jesus, and it knows nothing of the glory of God. And so what it does, though, is it, it does justify itself by verses like these in the Bible, right? Like these ones in Proverbs. Uh, and it rejects clear teaching of Jesus and the other apostles uh, that the life of faith includes self-denial. The life of faith faith includes self-sacrifice and trials. We worship Jesus who was hung on a cross. He was the man of sorrows. The apostles were all executed for their faith, almost down to the man. This is the foundation of our faith, guys. We we, I think you have to do all kinds of mental gymnastics to get around what the Bible's teaching us about this. And so having said all of those things, having said no to prosperity gospel and prosperity teaching, these verses are in the Bible. Okay, so what do we do with them? Because here they are, right? Um, this is where you have to reach back with me if you're here in week one, where we did a lot of work around how to read Proverbs. And one of the things we said about Proverbs is, Proverbs isn't giving us promises, but general truths about how the world works, not promises. And so what Proverbs is teaching us here is it's giving us the principle, the general principle, it's generally true, that a life of faith following Jesus will go well for you. Life will generally work to be more blessed when you walk in wisdom and when you follow God. That's the general truth. Now, not always, not always, there's always going to be incredible trials in your life. In fact, even in our passage today, verses 11 and 12, you might have noticed it when, when uh, Troy read it, um, 11 and 12 speak of God's discipline. His discipline, the discipline he sends our way in order to draw our hearts to him. The discipline he sends our way to help us, uh, to help loosen our fingers off the stuff of this world and to lift our eyes heavenward. And so, yes, God sends us wonderful blessings, but he also sends us refining sorrows. He really does. And so no, Proverbs is not teaching prosperity, teaching, however, there is the general principle that wisdom will lead into a blessed life. So let's look at our passage again. I want us to focus, hyper-focus on verse 3. Uh, that's where we're going to um, sit in this particular part of our text. Look at it again with me. He says this, Let not steadfast love that's the uh, really important Hebrew word, hesed. 
steadfast love, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So these, these two Hebrew words translated here, first, steadfast love, and secondly, faithfulness. These words are used again and again and again and again about the Lord himself. This is how he describes himself. He's a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who he is. And so I think what these passages are telling us is to be wise, we must bind the steadfast love of the Lord, his faithfulness, bind them around ourselves. As with hoops of steel, we bind them around our neck, we write them, we etch them onto our hearts, we drill the gospel, the gospel, the good news, for sinners and sufferers and fools like us. The good news of Jesus, we drill that deep into our hearts. Friends, the Lord loves you more than you can imagine. I know that that's true. Ephesians 3 teaches us, you know, it's, it's beyond our comprehension, the love of Christ for us. Beyond our comprehension. And so the more you can drill this into your bones, into your heart, into your gut, the more you can get this deeper, the wiser you'll be. The wiser you'll be. The more you know the love of God, the wiser you'll be. Why? Because the more secure you'll be in your life, the more safe you'll feel. And if you're safe and secure, then the more courageous you'll be in your life. You'll live wisely because you know what really matters and you know how safe you are. The more in touch you'll be with objective reality. That's a good thing. If you want to take up that VR set and live in the real world, drill this deep. It's going to make you wise. It's going to make you wise. I think you'll probably experience a little bit less anxiety in your life if you knew just how much God loves you. I think you'll probably experience a little bit more joy and peace in even the mundane stuff of life. I think you'll probably be a little bit less concerned about what people around you think about you. I think you'll probably be a little bit less concerned about pursuing the stuff of this world like money. You'll probably be a little bit less worried about your future. You'll be wiser. You'll be wiser if you knew the love of Christ for you. And so because of that, do anything you can to get the love of God deep into your heart. Do anything you can. It's going to make you wise, guys. Read the word expectantly. Look for his love. Pray earnestly that you would understand his love. Go sit in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, you know, if you could just have the strength to understand the height, the depth, the, the breadth of the love of God for you. If we could just get that into our hearts, we would, would be wiser. Prioritize your spiritual life. Prioritize church, small group, you know, those rhythms that God has given us, those ordinary stuff, ordinary rhythms that he's given us to, to grow. Um, listen to worship music. I think music is a powerful gift for us to, to grow in, in certainty. It, it speaks to our hearts, not just our minds. And so... Yeah, first step to being wise. Step into the reality of the love of God for you, the massive, the super massive love of God for you that is bigger than you can understand. Bind it to your heart because wisdom is lived from a place of security as a child of God. That's where wisdom comes from. And listen, you, you might be here 
and you know for a fact that you are not living in that reality at all. The Bible would say that makes you a fool. Not the bad kind of fool, but just like an ignorant fool. You can be wise. It would be a wise thing to step into the reality of your, God's love, of, of your Father's love. It really would. Step two. Verses five to eight. Step into the reality of your fallibility. Verse five and six. Uh, verse 5 and 6, I think, are probably the most famous verses in the whole book of Proverbs. Uh, they're great verses. And I can't, I can't read these verses without singing the Slugs and Bugs song in my head. You might have a different song. Uh, Slugs and Bugs are the best Christian kids' music out there. I listen to it when the kids aren't in the car. That's how good it is. Uh, and this song, I think we'll play it after the service, actually. Um, so as soon as the service closes, we'll, uh, we'll play uh, this, this song. Um, Trust in the Lord. I won't sing it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Or another translation would be, in all your ways, know him. Know him in all of your ways. Make sure he's, he comes to bear in all your ways. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, one one uh, commentator, he told a story about his dad uh, crossing a frozen river in the middle of winter. I'm not sure where he was, maybe like in Canada or something. Um, and he had no idea how thick the ice was. And so he's trying to cross this river. He's on his hands and feet hands and knees, I should say, crawling across. Making sure that he's not, you know, testing the ice in each step. Because, like, you know, if you go through that ice, you're going to die. <laughs> I assume. I don't think there's any way back from that, right? It's cold in there. And so he's crawling across the ice as careful as can be when he hears a sound. And behind him, the sound he heard was the sound of four horses being pull, uh, pulling along a big wooden cart and a guy with a whip. And this guy was a local. And he goes, takes these horses straight into the ice and across the river and up the other side. And this guy's on his hands and feet, feeling like quite the fool. <laughs> he had no idea if he was about to die or not. He was, you know, he was literally risking his life getting across that river. And here comes a local, right? Who knows how thick that ice is. For many of us, we're on our hands and knees when it comes to our Lord. Our faith is half-hearted, way too cautious. Way too cautious. Your God is actually worthy of your trust. I think the ice is way thicker than you think it is when it comes to trusting the Lord. It's way thicker. He can bear your weight. You can really trust him with all of your heart. You can put your entire weight on him. You do not need a plan B. He will come through for you every time, whatever it is you're facing. You can trust him. You can trust him with all of your heart. You know, A.W. Tozer, he, he said it really well. He said, pseudo-faith, so kind of like a false faith. He says, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails it. In case God doesn't come through. We need a, we need a plan B. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way 
or makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam first stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. I wonder what our lives would look like if we believed that in the small stuff. We're just banking everything on him coming through for us again and again and again and again. Every day. All the time. Because I think the point of this passage today is not just that it is good to trust Jesus. Not just that it is a right thing to trust him. I think the point of this passage is that it's actually wise. You're actually being wise to trust him with that kind of seriousness. You know, it, you'd think that the smart thing to do would be to trust in your own wisdom and your own smarts. The Bible says here, no, 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 be careful not to do that. <laughs> Make sure you don't lean too heavily on your own sense of, of things because there's times where you're just not going to see things right. No matter how wise you are, you're going to get things wrong. So be careful not to do that. In fact, the, the wise, they actually learn to mistrust their instincts a little bit. They know that they're prone to error. You know, know that they're fallible. They don't lean on their own wisdom or understanding. They lean instead on the word of God. They trust him with all of their heart. All of their heart. And that, that's smart. It's the smart thing to do to trust the Lord with all of your heart and to mistrust yourself a bit. You know, the fool in Proverbs, the fool is just so sure of himself. He's just, you know, he's never wrong. He never needs to be corrected. He's just got it all figured out. And the Lord says, no, you're a fool. You understand nothing. You know nothing. Your estimation of yourself is impossibly wrong. You know when you're sitting in your, in your house and the sun comes through just the right way and you see those little tiny pieces of dust floating around the room and you, just, you can just like watch a single piece just float around the room. The Lord's like, yes, that's you. You are the dust. You know nothing. Proverbs 26, 12 says this. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So you'd rather be a fool than be someone who thinks they've got it all figured out. It's wisdom. I think the bottom line is, is this in these verses when we're called to trust the Lord. I am and you are woefully underqualified to play the role of God in your life. Trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This goes beyond just like intellectual assent of a truth. This is a deep reliance on the Lord, a settled confidence in his care and the knowledge that he will come through because he is faithful and he is abounding in steadfast love. And so today I just want to encourage you all, have the audacity, have the wisdom to just take the Lord at his word and trust him. Put yourself onto that ice. Get off your hands and knees, eh? Um, verses 9 and 10. So the first thing we've seen about stepping into reality is, is firstly, it's, it's about us coming to grips with who God is, right? His love for us. We orientate ourselves to the truth of who this God is, and we come into that reality. He's the loving Heavenly Father. The second one is about coming to grips with who we are before the Lord. We are the dust. We are prone to error. We don't trust ourselves. We trust him. Uh, this, the next two are interesting because he gets weirdly specific. 
about areas of our lives, weirdly specific. Uh, first one, trust the Lord with your treasures. Trust the Lord with your treasures. And secondly, trust the Lord with your trials. So know who God is. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Know who you are. You're fallible. So trust the Lord with your treasures and trust Him with your trials. So firstly, our treasures. This is about coming to grips with the fact that we don't own anything. But He's given us everything. So look at this with me, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Remember, Proverbs isn't giving us promises here. Um, this doesn't mean you'll literally have vats bursting with wine. I don't even own a vat. I don't know where I would even buy one. Does Kmart have vats? I'm not sure. And they do. Bunnings? Bunnings might have vats. Bunnings has everything. Um, my point is, this is not a mechanical transaction, right? Um, where God gives you money and he'll make you rich. Um, this is a generalization. The point he's making is that it is wise to honor the Lord with your wealth. It's wisdom. It's wise. The Hebrew word translated here, honor, I think is the key word. That's what we're being called to do. We're being told to honor him. The word means weightiness, heaviness. So it's, it's, it's saying wisdom's calling us to make sure that God is seen as significant, as big, as, as weighty, as important in where it is our money goes. Now, just let me just say, he knows you need to eat. He knows you need a house over your head. We're not, the Lord's not tell, calling you to give away every cent you own so that you can't feed yourself, right? He is telling you to honor him with your wealth. So remember what we just read in verse 6. In, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways. And verse 9 now says, yes, and especially where your money goes. Acknowledge the Lord with all of your, in all of your ways, but especially where your money goes. So my, my big question is, I guess, why does the writer of Proverbs put this here? Why does he reach straight for the issue of wealth, having just said we need to honor him in all of our ways? Why, why does he go there? I, my thought is that I think money, in particular, is, is flagged here because it is such a good indication of what's in our heart. Our, it doesn't lie. You know, like the way our money goes, it's just we're cold hard numbers. The numbers that go out of your bank account show what your priorities are. That's, I guess, at the end of the day, what, why I think that's so important. Now, Martin Luther, he famously said that every person needs three conversions. His head his heart, and his wallet. You know, the first, we need to uh, be convinced in our minds of the truth of the gospel. We need to know the truth. But secondly, uh, we need to be convinced in our hearts. We need to really know in a, in a personal way that Jesus is our Savior. But it's when our budgets start to change to reflect Jesus' priorities for us and not just our priorities for us. That, that Luther is saying that something's beginning to change. Something's beginning to take root in our lives. And so in, in these verses, what is actually being called for here? Um, it's the language of first fruits. Language of first fruits is about first and best. So when the harvest comes in, the first fruit on the trees, that goes to the Lord. That's what, that's what's, that this is the command to the Old Testament people in, in, in the Old Testament in Exodus. Um, and it was an explicit command here. 
in a new covenant era, we're no longer underneath this command as a, as a command. We, I'm not an agrarian person. Neither are you. you know, we, don't, we don't have harvests anymore. But there is a principle in here, isn't there, about, about the fact that everything we have is his, effectively. It all comes from his hand. And we are to honor him with it. We are temporary stewards for his glory of his stuff. And so this is the way that they had to do it in their day. In our day, we have different ways, but it's still this idea of what I have is his. And I'm to honor him with my first and my best, not my leftovers. Not my leftovers. I think, um, I think the bottom line is, is this. In, in what world could a wise person, a person who is truly wise, in what world could a wise person be stingy with what God has given him? It's antithetical to who God is. So trust the Lord with all of your heart and trust him with all of your treasures and he will honor you. And finally, trust the Lord in all of your trials. Trust the Lord in all of your trials. Lest we think that God is going to just make us rich. We're told here that God allows trials into our lives for our good. Verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise, that's quite a strong word, isn't it? Despise. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, the, the writer of Hebrews grabs these two verses and then keeps going. And so we're going to go there as well. Oh, this is uh, Hebrews 13 and he, just, he, he quotes these verses. He starts in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not despise it. Do not be weary when being reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Listen, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have, have participated, then you are illegit illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Since uh, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined, that's, a, that's the earthly dads among us, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think this is actually an incredibly difficult thing to embrace wholeheartedly. And I think that's why we're being told, don't despise this. Don't be weary about it. Trust him. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, I think we do need to be told this. Your father loves you and you can trust him in his discipline. You can trust his heart for you is good in his discipline. You know, discipline is about training. I mean, that, we see that really clearly. Uh, discipline is about training and it's given, it's administered by your perfect heavenly father who loves you. He's not trying to crush you, he's trying to grow you. 
I just think of uh, in, in my house, you know, as, as a parent now, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And so I've had to learn how to discipline my kids because I love them. And so there's been occasions in the last little while where we've had some, um, some kicks and some hits and normal kid stuff, right? Uh, but things that we want to discipline. And so for a while there, we were just kind of making them say sorry to one another and get on with it. But then it kept happening. And so I had that moment where I realized, we're going to have to up the stakes a bit. We're going to have to do some actual discipline rather than just like making sure they say sorry. So I said, look, next time there's a hit or a kick, straight to timeout, no, no discussions. You have to say sorry as well. Otherwise, there'll be no TV as well. But either way, you're going straight to timeout, right? You, there's no like skirting around um, consequences just because you say sorry anymore. Um, which means the next time there was a hit or a kick, it was traumatic because of the... Uh, I don't know why timeout works. I know some of your parents are like, huh, timeout. Yeah, right. Um, but timeout for my kids works and uh, didn't used to, but now it does. They're at that age. Um, figure it out however you need to figure it out, right? But still, you, it was traumatic. It was, there, was, there was serious sorrow and tears over being sent to the room for five minutes. Um, five minutes, yeah. They were fine. You can trust me. Um, and so, you know, in, the, in that moment, I, every parent knows this, it's always easier to not do it. And to, but it, so it, it takes a moment of, this is the right thing for them, for me to go through the hard work of the screaming and the tears, to, to lay down this marker, this boundary. This is, this, you can't kick, kick or hit your sister, right? That's the mark. Uh, otherwise this. It was hard, but what does verse 11 say? For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so, I mean, every parent in the room, myself included, we could do this better. Of course we could, right? My attempts are imperfect. My motives will always be mixed to some degree as much as I love them. There'll always be a degree of which I'm just trying to solve the situation. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. And his discipline is not mixed. His discipline is perfect. He's a better dad to me than I am to my kids. And his discipline in my life is better than my discipline to my kids. It's more perfect. It is more gentle. And his concern for me outstrips mine for my kids. So don't despise the discipline of the Lord. He's using it to grow you. Do not grow weary. Trust his heart for you. Trust his gentleness for you. And persevere through it. Trust the Lord with all of your heart, even in those trials. So, this is as, as, just, to, just to conclude now. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be wise. And being wise means living in the real world. Where we know who he is. Where we know who we are. In that real world, God loves you. So don't forget that. Bind it to your heart. Drill it deep into your heart. It'll make you wise. In that real world, you are not God. You are fallible. So learn to mistrust your instincts and trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust Him with everything you have. Trust Him with your treasures. Honor Him with your first fruits. And finally, trust Him in those, those seasons of trials knowing that he certainly loves you 
He's drawing you and he has an intention behind it. He's not trying to crush you or punish you. He cares for you as a father. And so friends, let's be wise. Let's trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's pray.